You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. As the weather turns colder and you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small but very special subregion called Stag's Leap District. It's home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in Cabernet that is truly delicious. The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture that Chimney Rock is known for. This is a wonderful option for gift-giving and a perfect option to bring to a special dinner party. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Beth Garabrant. Even if no one ever sees pictures that you're making, I think that you just have to do it. If it's inside of you, you have to do it. And it doesn't matter what camera you have. You just have to go and take pictures. Beth Garibrandt is a photographer whose work is distinct, timeless, and empowering. She was born in Connecticut, but grew up in Illinois. And she draws her inspiration from suburban surroundings and humble homes. Following the passing of a friend during her high school years, she realized she didn't own many photos that captured their friendship. Since then, Beth turned to photography to cope and heal. She has expanded to photographing a wide variety of individuals from young to old, depicting the simple beauty that exists in their lives. Beth's clients include Netflix, Nike, Hero, and Elle. She's also worked with A-list actresses like Emma Stone, 
and photographed Taylor Swift's album art, including folklore, fearless, and red. Beth captures the essence of what it means to be candid and vulnerable through art. Please enjoy my conversation with Beth Garabrant. Beth, great to see you. Thank you so much for being on To Dine For The Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to have you this morning and, and can't wait to dive into your career as a photographer. But I really am interested and in start going to start this podcast like I start all the podcasts, which is your favorite restaurant. If you thought about all the restaurants that you've ever been to, what is the one that stands out as your favorite? I will have to go with a Chicagoland favorite and say Portillo's. Ah, Portillo's. I love it. Portillo's. I would order, we'd get Italian beef, cheeseburgers, their French fries, and then finish with their chocolate cake. You got to get the chocolate cake. It, their, their chocolate cake is unlike any other. It is so, so good. It is the best. And yes, I had that cake for every birthday growing up. And um, yeah, Portillo's. I love it. Um, You grew up north of Chicago. Yes. And I'm really fascinated to find out where was the spark that started your photography career. Uh, This past Christmas, I got my son Jack a Polaroid camera and he spent the day bopping around the house taking photos, but he had so much fun. And I'm really fascinated as someone who is a career photographer as yourself, where did your spark begin? Uh, Well, like Jack, I discovered photography um, probably around the same age, uh, maybe a little younger. My babysitter growing up was studying photography at Fairfield University, and she would use my sister and I in her projects, you know, and shoot Mm -hmm. portraits of us. And so we would see the film and camera and we wanted to be just like her. So we started copying, you know, we wanted cameras all of a sudden, you know, we'd photograph our Barbies. I guess that was really our first (laughs) That was, we would set up, I still have some of those pictures. We would set up still lives and just photograph Barbie world. Um, And then once we moved to um, Illinois and I got into high school, our high school had a a dark room and a really great photography program, which as I've gotten older, I realized was very special. And a lot of schools don't have this. So from there I was hooked. I did an independent study in high school and then knew when I went to college, that's what I wanted to, wanted to keep going with. And then I, I just did. I mean, I really found photography pretty early, I guess. First of all, you're very lucky, right? To, to identify a passion and to feel like you had something um, to say, right? So I'm just wondering, like when you started in high school and you're, you're really just having fun and you're playing and you're learning, what did you enjoy taking photos of? And what do you think you were trying to say at that point in your life? Uh, My senior year during this independent study, I had this semester long project that I had my, my teacher was my mentor. And, you know, it's just me working with this teacher. And I started photographing my friends and taking their portraits. Um, And at this time in my life, it was very important. I had lost a friend, a friend passed away at the beginning of that school year. So I started documenting my friends, because I, I realized when this person passed away, I didn't have a lot of pictures of him. Mm. And I what was, was his name? Uh, Bill, my friend Bill. Mm. And he was very much that would take my camera and take pictures of my camera. For, mm-hmm. and he never wanted to have his picture taken. But it really started just 
kind of, I became obsessive and would photograph and document my friends all the time because I just wanted to grab as much as I could. I was already nostalgic, I think, even at a young age, Mm. knowing that that time was passing and that, of course, like the next year we were all going to be apart. My family moved. So I never, I was never back in my house again. And I liked also photographing my family, even in just the most mundane situations of my mom cooking dinner. Did people ever call you a, an old soul? A mix of old soul. And I still love dolls and everything and a young soul. (laughs) And also childlike, an old soul and also childlike. Childlike. Yes. Well, you know, because that idea of nostalgia, it sounds like the passing of your friend Bill really set you off in a whole new direction. And that capturing images of your friend became a way to heal and to cope. Is that, would you characterize it that way? Oh, definitely. It was a, it was a coping mechanism for me. And it was also just a, I realized how important photography could be to me and and to other people. And just having this, you know, even if it was just the people I was photographing, that these pictures, I mean, I found two years ago, I went through my storage unit and I found all those negatives, these Mm. boxes. And so I, I started reprinting some of that work. And I, I sent those pictures to some of these friends mm-hmm. and they hadn't seen this for, gosh, I mean, not almost 20 years. I mean, it was, and it was powerful because it, yes. our lives have changed so much. And um, again, even those situations that seemed so maybe mundane at the time are, are now, they mean so much more seeing how, where our lives went from there. You have become known as a photographer who really can capture a moment and can capture youth and a culture and a generation. How do you begin to do that? I I mean, so much I think of my work is some is really also about me. And I I find a little bit as in the last few years, especially, I, I look at my work and I wonder if it I want to stay connected to young people today when I document them, but there is definitely like, there's such a difference with how I grew up and then how my subjects are growing up now. So mm-hmm. I, I feel. In what way? How would you say the difference? I mean, I guess the technology, of course, like is, is a huge uh, difference and, and how I think teenagers see themselves and uh, their agency in the world. Mm. I think that when I was growing up, there was a lot of, maybe there were more quiet moments and the kind of this listlessness that you didn't think about the future so much, or at least who I, my, my friends and I, you thought about it, but you were really kind of just (laughs) driving around. There was so much downtime of doing nothing. Mm. And I think my sense is that teenagers today are, they're activated and they're doing far more <laughs> with their time and thinking about their future. And and thinking about culture too, right? Like oh, very much that. more entrenched. Uh, and, and this is a generality, right? This is a stereotype because, sure. you know, obviously um, we're speaking in, in complete broad strokes here, but but the connection to technology and the, the fact that their face is downward in a phone or a tablet really shapes a childhood where as I, 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 I know you're, when you use the word listlessness, it, it, it really spoke to how I felt 
of my childhood was there's a sense of you had a lot of space to think and to dream and to to sit in the quiet. And what does it mean when you don't have any of that? Like, how does that affect how you think about yourself and the world? Right. Yeah. And I and I on a positive the uh, the positive of now is I think there's a lot more self-reflection. I mean, even when I'm photographing the subjects, I learn so much from them and not to say you, you, I couldn't, you know, an adult wouldn't have been able to learn from my friends and I growing up, but I just think teenagers are, I'm so impressed. I think mm-hmm. they have so much to say and there's confidence. It's not so internal or, um, I, I, I suppose I, I feel like I grew up in a bubble, well, you know, it, yes. it, they are very much outside of that bubble. Interesting. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. As the weather turns colder and you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small but very special subregion called Stag's Leap District. It's home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in Cabernet that is truly delicious. The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture that Chimney Rock is known for. This is a wonderful option for gift-giving and a perfect option to bring to a special dinner party. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. So in your work, Tweenage Landscapes, you capture images of girls in their uniforms, sitting on the couch, all the way to a girl standing in a dining room wearing a homecoming dress. Talk to me about the dichotomy of these two images and really what you're trying to achieve. So basically, like when I think about these girls, and again, I oftentimes am creating scenes from my own childhood and girlhood. Mm -hmm. And I guess a part of this work, and I think about those girls, these portraits, and it's not quite like paper dolls, because I want to capture the essence of of who these girls are in these portraits. But like I said, it's, it's always also speaking to a memory or a scene from my own girlhood. Mm. So it's this kind of part play worlds set up. But for me, it's like capturing these 
almost I think of pictures as dioramas of of a of a time, a slice in my own life that maybe I didn't have pictures of, or maybe it's something that never happened to me, Mm -hmm. but it's this, I I like all these like single portraits, or maybe it's a portrait of two girls. And I, I like this idea of just portraits and portraits and portraits. And, and you're not sure if it's the same girl in every portrait. I mean, a lot of the girls, they look like me when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And again, I I see it's almost like portraits of characters in a play. And Mm -hmm. These are each, it's each scene of, I'd say a pretty traditional, some might say narrow view, but it's mine. It's, it's what I grew up with. I'm always fascinated to hear the story of a creative who can then reach a level of success. So when you are coming out of college, you have an interest in photography. Can you kind of walk me through how you got your start? Yes. So after college, I did a fifth year of school at the International Center of Photography. Um, Where's that? Great. This is in New York City. Okay. Which was a wonderful introduction to the city. I was probably a little young. Looking back, I think I would appreciate, I would so love to do that now yes. because the access, the teachers you're studying with, it's, it's an amazing experience that I, I definitely took for granted. Mm-hmm. But I was also one of the youngest students. And so I was surrounded by people who were already working and um, showing their work. And that was very, it was just so eye-opening coming from a school in Indiana to this, to New mm-hmm. York City. Once I graduated though, I, I had to make money. So I ended up becoming an assistant to the babysitter that first inspired my career. She was the photo director at Travel and Leisure, and she hired me to become an intern. Mm -hmm. And so I was working in the photo department, cutting up contact sheets and working on editorial. And that became my introduction to magazines. And from there, I spent a few years in publishing as a photo editor. I met so many photographers and I learned so much from being on set. So you're on set, you're meeting all these photographers. Is this further cementing what you really want to do? Oh, yeah. It is. You're, you're like, uh, this is me. This is who oh, I yeah. want to be. And I wanted it. And I was really scared because once I had entered the photo editing world, I thought, well, this maybe this is what I'm meant to do. But I, I was always, you know, on the side, I would be shooting personal work or you know, the fo- a photo director might throw me a couple of assignments and say like, oh, do you want to shoot this? And mm. like, yes. I'll, even if it was the, it could be the smallest thing. Like, could you go photograph that hot dog at right. a restaurant <laughs> that's going to be the size of a dime in the magazine? Right. And I would be so excited. And I would, and I saved all of those. I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm in this magazine. Yeah. So it was always the plan, but I would kept putting it off because mm-hmm. I don't know, probably fear or I was surrounded by so many talented people. So you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're you're in the trenches of the ph- photography world first as an intern, um, then getting these bit parts to, to photograph small things from magazines. Where was your first big break? I think this it was maybe getting an assignment. I was working as a photo editor at Nylon Magazine mm-hmm. and I went on assignment to the Geographical Center of the United States. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And the writer on that story, I, I ended up marrying. It's now my now husband. <laughs> that was a good day. <laughs> it was a great. It was a great trip. But we, the story, I was really happy with how the story came out, mm-hmm. and people really liked it. It came together, and I remember just traveling to this part of the country that, even even being in Kansas, it's not so far from Illinois. I'd never been anywhere like this, and I remember just spending. We were there for several days. And I loved it. And then I thought, I don't want to be in an office anymore. Like, I want to do this. I want to go out into the world and meet people. And it's always a challenge to take portraits or you're just kind of running around. I mean, we went around that town and befriended so many fascinating subjects. So after that, I was on borrowed time. I'd say <laughs> as working as a photo editor, because I just thought, I have to do that again. I, I just, yeah. What, what do you think it is about you and your personality, what you bring to the moment that helps you capture great portraits? I think there's always a part of you or part of me. And I, I learned this from a lot of people. There's this imposter syndrome in yourself that you think as much work as you get, or maybe you do a project that everyone's like, wow, you're still, I still always feel like I have so much to learn and that I'm not quite there yet that I, Mm. I look at other photographers still and I, I admire them and I learn so much from what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I bring that I'd say into a shooting a portrait. It's not a lack of confidence, but maybe it's something that is disarming. Humility. Is it a humility? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, and it's yeah. this feeling of we're going to make this picture together, and ah, you know, yes. I need you just as much as I mean, you need me to take the picture. It's a co-creation, absolutely. And yes. I, I always feel like some people are a subject is giving you themselves. I mean, it's the most generous thing someone can do is to let you take their portrait because it's it's kind of taking a part of them, <laughs> taking from them. Yes. And for me, it's always important to when I photograph someone to give them that dignity and to be caring about what this picture will mean. And yeah, I, I hope that that always comes through when, when I photograph someone, because you're just grateful that, that you're having the opportunity. You have photographed some A-list actresses. You have really been instrumental in taking beautiful photographs of Taylor Swift for her cover art. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be and how that relationship started? That was, again, just a really wonderful experience that mirrors the other experiences of being, you know, with Taylor, we were, it was just the two of us photographing those albums. It was, it reminded me of being back in school. I mean, we just had a lot of fun. The way the project came about is we had mutual friends and she liked my work. And again, that was kind of talk about luck, right? That was, that's a little bit of luck and talent intersecting, right? Yeah. And Taylor was just wonderful to collaborate with because she has ideas that spoke to me and I was like, yes, let's do it. (laughs) So it was a true co-creation. Like you were talking about before the two of you worked together to create those images. We worked together, but I would say, I mean, with someone like Taylor, I mean, it really was her vision. I mean, she had a vision for what she wanted and yeah, it was fun to that day, just be a part of that and see how the day went. I mean, it just really was casual. Maybe that's not even the word. It's it's so different on most shoots. You are 
particularly with if you're shooting an album cover or shooting for a magazine, there are so many people around, which I find to be awful. <laughs> I get very <laughs> nervous even to this day. Yeah. There's so, everyone's behind you, and, yes. and that sense of intimacy is really. Hard. hard to achieve. I, I, as someone who, you know, shoots people in interview, you know, we do interviews in restaurants, right? So for me, the less people I can have around, the better interview I can do because it feels less like someone's on a stage and yeah. more like it's one-on-one. Yes. And so I completely relate to what you're saying about the intimacy of capturing someone who someone really is. How do you approach when you're taking a photo of Taylor Swift, there's this tension between trying to say something specific to letting the photo say what it needs to. How do you approach that? I mean, I would say it's the same when it's either, when it's someone who's very well known that you're photographing or Bob, the paleontologist, amateur paleontologist that I photographed in Kansas in that you, you take the time you know, if, if you're given that time to get to know someone, even in five minutes, just a, a little bit about them. Mm. And again, it comes back to that ideal situation where it's just the two of you. What did you learn from that experience? What did you learn about her? What did you learn about yourself? I mean, that was, that was an, an enormous job for you, right? At the time. Oh yeah. I mean, I, you know, from working on Folklore, you know, that was that first album. I'd say it was just really, again, like cementing why I love photography. It, it reminded me, that shoot reminded me so much of being back in school mm-hmm. and this freedom of, it's a collaboration whenever you photograph anyone, but also when someone has this idea and you're, it's so exciting to get to try to put that idea behind the camera and, and down to like having processing film and that was all shot on film. So again, you have no idea what you, I mean, you have a sense of what you were t- took that day and the pictures you have, but it's not until you, I got back to Texas and then you're in the dark room and you're making yeah. contact sheets and you're seeing that come back to life. That was really, I'd say important for me because every so often you do get, you're burned out or we're exposed to so much imagery, especially now with Instagram or everything. And, and it can become discouraging you just feel like, well, there's so many pictures aren't there. And there's so many pictures. People have taken so many pictures. Do I need to take more pictures or what am I trying to say? Mm. And um, I guess with that shoot, like it really took me back to process and taking it back to spending a day with storytelling. And Mm -hmm. then again, going back to the dark room. Mm -hmm. And that's always would be my advice is like, is it can be discouraging. I think photography, especially now, mm-hmm. uh, because we are seeing so much photography, even if it's mm-hmm. lifestyle photography or everyone takes pictures. Now photos have become such an essential part of how we live. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to log off or not look at too much too yes. for that reason. You know, there's so many people who, um, are trying to pursue something creative, whether it's photography or not. What do you say to someone, a young creative who maybe is feeling some of the emotions that you just expressed? Like, why would I become a photographer when there are so many images out there? What would you say to them? I find so much inspiration in what I, in my work from, I mean, reading books even, or going to the movies or the world around me. 
And I feel like it's strange to say, if you remove yourself from looking at too much, maybe it's listening more, Mm. you'll find that there's so much listening to your own voice. Yeah. Listening to your own voice. Even if you feel like, well, is my story, what am I saying? Am I saying anything? And it it goes back to, I think now there's so much to say, (laughs) so much to say about the world and our country and what's happening. But if you can really put the personal back in and think about your perspective, I mean, everyone's perspective is their own. And that sounds so easy. It's almost just like, okay, that seems obvious, but you, I, I have to remind myself that all the time it's your picture. So you're taking this picture and sure someone could stand in the same place, but I do believe they would, they would be taking a different picture. And it absolutely, means, yeah, what you're choosing to photograph is very different from what the next person is going to choose to photograph. Even if it's the way you frame the image, there's a reason behind it. And I think having mentors is also really important. That's always kept me going. People that I admire, teachers, you know. You went to Notre Dame, right? I did. Okay, so did I. And um, what's so interesting is I I felt that it was not an environment. I loved my time at Notre Dame. Great, great university. Had an incredible experience. Wonderful friends. But I didn't feel like it was a university that really fostered a lot of creativity. And I felt like it was an environment that really was great at setting people up for accounting and business and law and being a doctor. But it didn't necessarily advocate. And I'm sure it's changed now. And this is many years ago, but it really didn't advocate for people who wanted to do something creatively. Um, and I just wondered your experience as Notre Dame is very traditional education, um, but yet you were able to escape and to do something really creative. What was that experience like for you? I found in the my departments, I was in the art department and then the film, television, theater department. And I... In the art department, I had great teachers, wonderful uh, grad students Mm. who taught, right? And my years, one of my teachers, I'm still friends with today, and it was such an amazing artist, Tara Kranick. And the classes that she ran, they always were small. They were always always girls, women, who are now still some of my closest friends. And I love Notre Dame, but the tradition, I was very cynical about Notre Dame, <laughs> even then I still am. And I found there was a lot of tradition that was very dated mm-hmm. at that school. And at that time, I, I still think that women were a little, were a bit secondary. Mm-hmm. And to be in this art department where you would be surrounded, it was all women in these classes. Mm. It was so, it was incredible. We had the best time. I mean, being in the dark room, for me with friends is that's a a part of, you know, what made me love photography, Mm -hmm. uh, those late nights in the darkroom. Well, I think your story is a testament that, you know, when you have a talent and an interest and a passion, it can really thrive and develop anywhere. And, you know, you immediately think that when someone is successful in photography, they went to NYU or they went to a big city school that really fostered that kind of thought and interest and passion, but you know, you can actually develop whatever interest you are, wherever you are. And so the fact that you found your, your little corner of the world and were able to thrive is really a testament to you. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, but I would really love to hear 
you know, just kind of in summation, it's been fascinating to hear about your journey, but what's the message you hope to share, especially with the younger generation that you've learned through all your photography? I would say it's going back to, and it was advice that my dad gave me. I think that mentors are so important. They're very important to me. They've been very important to my, I'd say, journey as a photographer. I rely on them. I look back. If there's ever a time of discouragement, I look to the past and I think of all of the people that I've admired and their work. And it doesn't have to be for anybody else. It, of course, you want to make a living, but it's really also for yourself. And I, I, even if no one ever sees pictures that you're making, I think that you just have to do it. If it's inside of you, you have to do it. And it doesn't matter what camera you have. I don't believe in having the fanciest camera. I don't think you need that. But I think that you just have to go and take pictures. You could talk yourself out of taking any picture because what's the point? Mm. But like I said, the, the pictures that even I took 20 years ago, they're now so important to me. And I look, I look to that work to, to make new work. Mm. And for me, documenting those things, even at the time, I'd look at contact sheets. And it's funny, you also will look back at contact sheets and think, why did I choose this one? And I've reprinted pictures from roles and thought like, oh, like, I like this picture. I didn't like it back then, but I really like this now. So I, I think it can actually really be, a, you're documenting yourself. You know, the more pictures you're taking, you'll look back and you'll think, I, I do think you'll, you'll feel differently about them. And it's, it's an archive of your life. And for me, that's, that's important. I love it. I love it. I love when you said you just have to go out and take pictures. It's just a great manifesto to anyone interested in photography or really to do anything to, to get going and to try it. So Beth, thank you so much for your time today. It's wonderful to meet with you and uh, to connect with another Notre Dame graduate in, yeah. in creative space. So thank yeah. you, Beth. Thank, thank, you, thank you so you. much, Kate. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todine4tv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todine4tv and Facebook at todine4 with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of Todine for the podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 